Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. It's a beautiful, beautiful Thursday in Washington, D.C. You know, this is Black History Month. Uh, February is Black History Month 2018. And I've been following Reverend William Barber, uh, Poor People's Campaign. And I want to talk about it today. We were trying to get him on the show, but unfortunately he has been ill. Uh, it looked like we were going to try to tape something beforehand. He was scheduled to be at Shiloh Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. on 9th and Peace Street in Northwest D.C. on Monday evening. He was there uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, but he was not in, so he came over the Internet and was on screen uh, Monday evening, and we were going to tape a show. So I'm just going to go ahead and talk about the Poor People's Campaign, which Martin Luther King started in the 60s, 68. And so William Barber and several other people, Theo, Reverend Theo Harris, they are co-chairs of this Poor People's Campaign of 2018. And Theo Harris has talked about the 10 reasons to join the Poor People's Campaign. You know, and that's what we want to talk about today. And so why... On this everything co-op, what I talk about the poor people's campaign, <clears throat> and just right off the top, Dame Pauline Green, who is the past president of the International Cooperative Alliance, on this show one day said that co-ops bring people out of poverty with dignity. So it's a couple things, and one is it bring people out of poverty. There's 40.6 million people. What the number of people in poverty has increased by 60% to 40.6 million people since 1968 when Martin Luther King started this Poor People's Campaign. So 40.6 million people are in poverty in the United States. And cooperations, cooperative business model is a vehicle to bring people out of poverty. Bring people out of poverty but with dignity. And that's what I like, is that with dignity. So folks can have self-confidence, self-respect. So I like the idea that co-ops will help people to come out of poverty and like it even more because it helps them to come out with dignity. So we got 40.6 million people in the U.S. in poverty. So poverty rates are higher among African Americans and Latinos, but white people make up the largest number of people that are poor in this country with 17.3 million white folks are poor and growing up in Bluefield West Virginia I really got early on because the, the mountaintop that we grew up on on Ridge Street there were we were black and white I didn't even know about discrimination I knew a little bit about it because we went to town uh, they had this colored sign went for the drinking fountains and if you went to the 
a bus station, you could not sit in, you could only sit in certain areas. And if you went in the restaurant, you had to take your food back out. You couldn't sit in the restaurant and eat. So I knew a little bit about it. But on the hill, we all played, blacks and whites, we all played together. We were all poor, working poor. And so I didn't know discrimination until we started school. And the white kids went to one school and we went to another school and they started acting funny. Okay. So that's when I knew poverty, but I got early on that poverty has, does not discriminate. If you're poor, you're poor. And what's so bad about poverty in the U.S. is systemic. It's kind of like somebody gets their foot on your back and holds you down. And while they got their foot on your back, whatever labor you do produce, whatever you get accomplished, they take it. They sap, sap it out of you. So they keep you down for a reason. People make money off of poor people, and that's kind of what's sad. And Reverend Barber calls it a moral issue. He calls it a sin. It hurts, this poverty thing, and to know that people will use poverty to hold some people down so that they can make money. That is sad, and it hurts. So you got 40.6 million people in the United States that are in poverty, and that's grown 60% since 1968. So in this 50 years, the number of people in poverty has grown by 60%. But on the other side of it, the top 1%, people in the national, in, the, the national income, those in the top 1% have doubled. So you get people that are making more and more money, and people in the top 1% have doubled. They just make the money. A key driver for this economic divide is the steep drop in unionization. Unions used to have 24.9% of workers in unions. One quarter of the people of workers were in unions. Now it's down to 10% in 2016. So people on the top, those one percenters, and we've talked about this over and over again on this program, they take the lion's share of the money. They siphon the money off the top, and so that leaves less and less money for the 99 percenters, and that just pours more and more people into poverty. Please join the Poor People's Campaign. We've got to change the rules around. And the other thing that just happened, I mean, just happened is this tax bill. In this tax bill that just got passed by the Republicans, and they talk about how it's going to help everyday people, these 99%ers, us, because it's going to give money to the rich, to the one percenters. It's going to give them money, even to the point of having uh, $1.5 trillion of deficit. Give these people money. And they said, and therefore, it's going to trickle down. They're going to figure out ways of giving workers money. If they have it, that hasn't happened yet. They get it, they keep it. And then they use that capital to make more money. And that's why more and more people in that one percenters and the one percenters have more and more of the dollars and we have more and more people in poverty. We've got to change it. We've got to change the people that are in the House and the Senate so we can change things like taxes so that folks and everyday people can keep a bigger share of their dollars for their families. Listen, you know, we we got we to fight on our hands. 
What we have is we have the numbers of people in the democracy, but we got to get people out to vote. We have to get people out to vote. They say if blacks had not stayed home in the last election, Donald Trump would not have won. So we got to vote. And, you know, the Russians did a great job. I kept trying to figure out why is this email thing such a hard, why are they selling it as, as this major, like Hillary had killed somebody or had robbed people or something. They made this email thing and it's lock, lock her up stuff. It kept feeding, the, and I kept saying, what's, I don't get this. And that was just the Russians. Every chance you got on Facebook, in print media, and people talking about it, and it was all, that was really fake crap. So the people that have money or the people that want to destroy our democracy by creating and continue to create havoc within our democracy, why? So they can get our resources. They want our resources. They want more and more and more greed. It's really, 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 really contagious, and it is a huge sin, particularly when you're taking it off the backs of the poor, orphans, children. Co-ops is an answer. It's the only answer that I have seen where we can solve our own problems. We don't have to look for somebody else. We don't have to say they need to help us. We can come together, three, four, five people, 100 people start a food co-op, three or four people start a worker cooperative, can come together and start a cooperative that will solve whatever problem is out there in the community to be solved or whatever business that you want to start. And what I like about the cooperative is the the cooperative value, self-help. That's number one, self-help, self-responsibility. Have to be responsible for ourselves and help ourselves. And we can do that by coming together, solidarity, democracy, one member, one vote, equality and equity. That we help, and this is what I love about co-ops when I first started managing housing co-ops, is that watch people debate and look at different issues. Should we do this or should we do that? Should we have this policy or that policy? And people vote on what is best for the community, what's best for all. And when you get people working like that, it's amazing the kinds of things that can happen, particularly over time. Because most cooperators are looking long-term, not for the short-term return on investment or return to the stockholders. In tradition of the founders of cooperative, cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty. Honesty. God, if we could get that into the White House. Openness. That's transparency. Particular financial transparency. So you can see what's happening in the books. And for a cooperative, it has to have this transparency. It has to have this openness so that all of the members see what's going on, get monthly financials, uh, audited statements, so they can see what is going on in the books and nobody is and have the opportunity to do harm. Honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. This caring for others is critical. Caring for each other that's in the co-op, 
and caring for the community at large. That's the social responsibility. These are the cooperative values. And this is why with the Poor People's Campaign, this Black History Month, I find it critical that we put cooperatives in the strategy for what we need to do to solve our own problems, what we need to do to solve our problems. Now, we can look for the government to help create the laws that helps the worker co-ops because we have different laws in different states. Some states don't have the laws. We talked about the Federation of Worker Cooperatives in the South, in Miami, and 13 states in the South. They got incorporated in D.C. simply because the laws in D.C. for co-ops was better. Listen, we're going to take our first break. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Information is power. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome back to Everything Cooperative. We're talking about, in this Black History Month, we're talking about the Poor People's Campaign, where Reverend William Barber and Reverend Theo Harris are the co-chairs of the Poor People's Campaign, taking off reinvigorating Martin Luther King's Poor People Campaign that he started in 1968, 50 years ago. So we talked about earlier that since 68, the people in poverty or below the poverty line has had a 60% increase to 40.6 million people in the U.S., while people in the one percenters have increased, this number doubled, union, the participation has gone down from like 25% to 10% of the workforce. The unions help to labor because there's this constant struggle between the capitalists and the laborers, the people with the money and the people with the manpower or brain power, they get things done. So who gets to share the profits? The union said, a bigger and bigger share should go to labor, and they negotiated that. Well, there's been attack on unions, and unions have gone down in terms of the number of people that are in unions, in particular percent, from 25% of the labor force in unions to down to 10%. And I suggest we need to turn that around. Now, one of the things I'm really supporting and pushing is cooperatives, but there's also a union cooperative movement. And I've gone a couple years to the Cincinnati Union Cooperative uh, meetings, workshops in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I just learned a lot and met a lot of great people. And I didn't think because of co-ops, when we talk about democracy, uh, one member, one vote, because the members are involved, the members have to set up the policies. The members decided if there's a profit, what happens to that profit. So I didn't think there was a need for unions. And after going and listening to them and talking to them, it's, there's a huge need. One is that you're still going to have management. The people that are, how you say this, the members will elect a board and the board will hire managers. And there's still room for dishonesty or lack of integrity where people will do things that would be against the membership for their own gain. And the unions could be there to help make sure that does not happen. That folks will 
play by whatever policies the members set up. So back on this war on poverty um, and the Poor People's Campaign, there were some gains on poverty with President Johnson's war on poverty, but the, sa- the social safety net has taken a huge beating. And they're talking about, when we talk about this $1.5 trillion of deficit that this tax bill just passed for the rich and the large corporations, how they're going to make that up is their second phase of it is taking away the social network, safety net. Taking away this social safety net, whether that's in terms of food stamps or Medicare or Medicaid. They even, even though we paid into Social Security, they're talking about perhaps taking some of that away. So they've given money to the rich at the expense of everyday people, poor, working class people, middle class, whatever you say, 99% of us. But this poverty has particularly had a tremendous negative impact on single mothers and children. Where 30.6 million children live at or below like two times the poverty level. Female-headed households are 5.4 times more likely to be living in poverty than families headed by married families and married couples. And you notice a lot of female-headed households in the African-American study, in the African-American communities. That's 5.4 times more likely to be living in poverty than than a married couple. So we, we, the war in poverty helped a little bit, but it went away really quickly. So more than 50 years after the Voting Rights Act, though, people of color still face a broad range of barriers to democracy. Racist gerrymandering, redistricting. This whole issue, if you're a felon, you cannot vote. And just making laws that make it harder to vote. We should be making it easier for everybody to vote. I, I like, uh, I, I heard somebody recommend that once you turn 18, you can be drafted, or in one of my time, you could have been drafted, or you, you're expected to go and, and tell the draft board you're 18. Well, why not just make it automatic that you you can vote? Once you turn 18, it's just automatic. Make it easy to vote. But we've had more restrictive voter ID laws. 23 states have adopted various forms of voter suppression since 2010. Make it harder to vote so people will stay home, and that's exactly what happened. So that Donald Trump became president because people stayed home because it was harder to vote. And... The whole campaign smearing Hillary Clinton's name. The Russians didn't want her. They already knew that they would, she would do the sanctions. Donald Trump hasn't. You know, it's really weird and crazy that he said that he has done more against the Russians than Obama. I don't know how this guy even twists his tongue to come out and say some of the things that he has said. It's just like. 
lying on top of lies, and then people still, some people still believe them. That's sad. So this this poverty has gotten worse, much much worse. Now this is just not a U.S. phenomenal phenomenon. This is a worldwide issue. So we we're we're seeing that people that inherit money, they seem to be greedy for more. It's like okay, my mama. My daddy, they made all of this money. They did it. Now I've got to hold on to it. And I may not know how to make it the way they made it, so let me try to see if I can get some politicians and buy me some politicians so they'll create policies so I'll get more money on the capital they left me. They don't need it, but they want it. I don't know if that's so that they can feel like they have worth and value because they increase the wealth that their parents left them? Or is this just this oligarchy? Like, monopoly is if you, if you, if you are one and you can have control. Oligarchy is when there's many, many, um, but not the masses, and they control. So this is what's happening around the world. I wouldn't be surprised if Putin, Putin and Trump have a, made a pact when he was going over there with Miss America where he would come back and try to create disruptions in the U.S. system so he it could end up being the czar of the U.S. with Putin's help. And that's why they had all of these Russians over here recently. So they come in and they help disrupt our de- democracy so that Trump becomes a czar over here and Putin's a czar over there and then they just rape our land and our people. They just take, 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 take. Put their foot on our backs and we got to be careful, you guys. We got to get out in 18 and vote like we've never voted before. Then you get since 1976 crime but it's not it's not crime so much as it is the the racism and the way the judges will give sentencing for blacks and brown people and how the police will arrest black and brown people and they may let the whites go, particularly whites with money, or give them less sentencing. So we got more money spent on prisons, about $7.5 billion a year. It's gone up tenfold since 76. And the number of prison inmates have gone up astronomically. This one piece I'm reading says from 188000 to $5 million from 68 to 2015. I want to check that number out. It's racial profiling and bias sentencing, police practices that explains this. So you get that in 1978, when they first started taking numbers, that people of color like were one half of the number of people in jail. So you got whites of about a half and then people of color about half in 1978. 
Now people of color are 66%. We'll be right back. Please don't touch the dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOF, 95.9 FM. Good morning again, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. You know, um, this is, program is Everything Cooperative. If you have any comments or questions that you'd like to ask, please call in at 1-800-450-7876. And we're talking about on this month where we celebrate black history, we're talking about poor people and a poor people's campaign that was started in 1968 with Dr. Martin Luther King. And it's been taken up now, revitalized by Dr. William Barber and Dr. Theo Harris. And things have gotten worse in these 50 years, they've just gotten worse. The number of people in poverty has gone up 60%. The number of people in unions have gone down from 25% to 10%. 30.6 million children, about 43% of the children in the U.S. live in this line. Like if you take poverty and you say, okay, we multiply that by two, you look at people that are two times the poverty line, below, you get 43% of children. You got 23 states that have adopted various forms of voter suppression since 2010. And then crime isn't up as much as you got racial profiling, biased sentences against blacks and browns, and then police practices against blacks and browns. Going up from 188,000 people in jails to 5 million. 188 in 1968 to 5 million. It's it's just awful. But the people that have the money are making the rules. They can put more and more money to cost KOCH brothers. They can put more and more money to buy politicians. They buy these politicians, and the politicians then will create policies that benefit them. And it doesn't make any difference. We've talked in this program a number of times that housing co-ops, when you talk about affordable housing, housing co-ops have outperformed apartments in every variable you can think of. So you would think a smart people would say, oh, this is outperforming. Over time, the rents are less. Over time, the property is in much better shape because people in the the, uh, housing Co-op will put money back into the property for long-term investments, long-term returns where people that have apartments, they won't put money in the apartments because they're trying to get their return today. They want short-term investments, short-term returns. Every variable. People in uh, in the co-op, they, they have community. They social wealth in they work with police. They work with the, with council people and government entities. They work with the people within the co-op if, if they if they have children, how to benefit the children. If there's crime, it's less crime. But if there's crime, the people in the community know who's doing it and where it's at, and they can work with police to even lower the crime. Every variable you can think of in a co-op is better. 
So wouldn't you think that the U.S. government would put the HUD money into co-ops? But they don't. Why? Because the people that have capital, they build apartment buildings. Then they get Section 8 government subsidies. They get a huge return off their investment. And they'll run that for 10, 15, 20 years. And they won't put any money in it. They just sop the money out of it. And people live in poor conditions after a while. Doesn't happen in a co-op. So you got to ask the question, why wouldn't the federal government, who's for the people, by the people? Oh, okay. Since 1976 to 2015, look at immigration. Federal expenditures on border control and immigration enforcement rose eightfold, eightfold. While the number number of deportees grew tenfold to 333,000 people deported. Tenfold since 1976. It's amazing, and it's always said that if the rules that they have for immigrants now, and if they had them when Donald Trump's grandfather came over, he would not have been here. And that's what's so sad. Now, the 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 number of where we're spending money. That when when your politician tells you we don't have money for education, or we don't have money for uh, helping people with food when they need it whether that's called welfare or whatever, TANF, whatever you call it. It's because they're putting money other places. They're giving money back to the wealthy through tax returns, or they don't have to pay taxes, or they're putting it in the military. Since the Vietnam War, if you look at how much the government spends in military and how much they spend in anti-poverty programs in 19... 76, it was like military spending was twice the level of discretionary spending on to fight poverty. So it was two to one. Two dollars in military spending for a dollar in anti-poverty programs. Today, that's like four to one. Four dollars. Six hundred and thirty billion dollars in military spending to $183 billion in anti-poverty. You know, how do you get real security, good jobs, health care, quality education? Well, that's why I like Bernie Sanders, first off. Free college education, health care for everybody, $15 minimum wage, and he was for cooperatives. And then after he did not win and Hillary Clinton won the primary, it was, well, it wasn't easy for me to go to her based on if you look compare Bernie to Hillary, but I went to her when you compared her to Donald. Now, Donald, I didn't know that much about him, but what I heard about him, okay, he's against women, he's against, you heard him talk about the reporter that had a disability. I hadn't heard that since middle school where somebody would talk about somebody's disability, would talk badly about them. And what he said he did to women, I think that was middle school too. And I played football in high school and college. We didn't have those conversations in the locker room. No, no, no. No way. Even in middle school, we didn't have that kind of vulgar conversation. So I just didn't like his values. I didn't like his character. And I couldn't see how so many people would. Except that some did just because he said we're going to make America great again, which meant 
to make America great for white people, particularly white men. So I could not understand why what so many white women voted for him. Now, this whole thing about this Russian thing is a hoax. I can't see how anybody can say that. You know, you've had a couple people that pleaded guilty. I think three now. Two or three indicted people in the White House, whether it's Jared Kushner or Ivanka Trump or Jeff Sessions. They all lied about their contacts with Russians. I mean... You don't even have to go to Donald Trump and his his father, Ku Klux Klan, against blacks, against Mexicans. Looks like a racist, talks like a racist, walks like a racist, and he's a racist. But I didn't, it wasn't even that. It was just his character. I couldn't go for this man, and it's showing every day. Lying, dishonest. Boy, if we could get these values of the co-op into the White House, into the Senate, into the House of Representatives, the values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another. Wow. All right. Why should we join this poor people's campaign? I have it that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be homeless today. No question in my mind. Homeless and in poverty. And what's sad, and on Monday night, a, a white lady got up and talked about being in poverty and how her parents were in poverty, how she grew up in poverty. And what people say about her is because she doesn't work hard. She had two jobs. Once you get in poverty, it seems like systemically it keeps you in poverty. And people then point the finger at you and say that there's something wrong with you. Where it's this whole system of not having the good jobs, not having a good education so you can get get the good job, not having health care, and health was one of her issues. So we got to change this around. If not for them that's in poverty, at least for you, because you and I could be there. I'm real clear on that. And if the Donald Trumps of the world and the Putin of the world have their way, that's where we'll be. I don't know if you all remember the Zorro movie. Bandera was Zorro. The, the, the guy came back from Europe, I think from London. I'm not sure where he came back from Europe. And he's in California and he, he brings the Dons into a room, and they have a map of California, and he's going to take the poor people, anybody that they put in jail, they put them in the mines to work free. And they have overseers over them, and they're mining gold, California gold. And they're going to take this gold and buy California from, from Mexico. And they sit in the room, and they divide up California between the Dons. That's the way Putin and Trump would do it. So, but for the grace of God and our democracy, we have to go and vote. We have to get involved. Please join the Poor People's Campaign. Please see what you can do. Please get people out to vote and you get out and vote. Get involved. Get to know the issues. I mean, have the conversations, have the debates, 
so you'd be well informed. And this is what happens in a co-op. We're going to take our our break now. If you have any questions or any comments, please call in at 1-800-450-7876. This is Vernon Oaks. We're going to take our final break here, and we'll be right back to talk about a couple other reasons why you should join the Poor People's Campaign. We'll be right back. Information is power, and that's why the National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program and why why WOL makes a great, great partner. We're giving you the information, so if you use this information, you will have power. You will have power, your family will have power, and your community will have power to take control over your communities, okay, as a group. People come together, form co-ops, buy from co-ops, take that profit and put it back into the community. Money that's made by co-ops was spent was turned in the community five, six, seven, eight times. It's called the multiplier effect. The economists call it the multiplier effect. So that that continually helps that community. Where in most rural communities and urban neighborhoods, the ghetto, people go out of the neighborhood to work. They spend their money coming back home. They spend it outside of their community. They go outside to shop, to the shopping centers or to the grocery stores because it may be a food desert. So that the money turns one time, comes into the household and goes out. That does not build a community. In a co-op, the people in the community own the business. Food co-op. Whether that's owned by the workers or if it's owned by the consumer. If it's owned by the workers, if it's owned by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. If it's owned by the people that shop in the food co-op, it's called a consumer cooperative. But the members decide what happens to the profits, how much stay in the business, how much gets into terms of dividends, and how much will they donate to other social causes in that community. Now, NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. That's their mission. That's their goal, and they do a great job of it. Get involved in co-ops. That's one way that we can help people come out of poverty. That's one way we can help people to, to build up their financial and social wealth. But disadvantaged communities have paid the highest price for American militarism. The poorest 30% of U.S. communities suffered 36% of casualties in the Vietnam War. The poorest 30% of U.S. communities, whether they were African Americans or white or Latino, they suffered 36% of the casualties of deaths in Vietnam and 38% in the Iraqi war. So what happens is 
you know, we don't have the legal draft that we had in the Vietnam era. It went from a draft to a lottery. Now it's an economic draft. So these poor communities, the people when they get ready to graduate from high school mostly, or if they don't finish high school, going to the military is a viable option. And it might be basically the only option if they don't go to college or some other school. Because the military says they'll give them health insurance, give them food. They will train them in something and give them an education. And sometimes they will even pay for college education. So it's an economic draft. So these people from these poor communities, rural or urban, go into the military. So in Iraq and Afghanistan, the casualties from the U.S., where 23% came from job-scare small towns and rural areas. And these small towns make up 17% of the population, but 23% of the deaf in Iraqi and Afghanistan. So poor communities are paying a very high price for our military in terms of deaths. It's sad. It's sad. Perhaps we you know, we could find a way to be at peace and not at war and have an economy that's not based on military and prisons. And you know, since 1968, the environment has become less polluted. You may not, under, may not see that in our communities or in poor communities or in jobs, take Flint, Michigan. You take some places in the south where they have hog farms and the waste goes into the water, pollutes the water. And that's around poor communities, African-American communities specifically. But these folks with African-American brown, black and brown people with Income disparities, they have had less clean air or water and exposed to environmental hazards. According to the Center for Disease Control, at least 4 million families with children are being exposed to high levels of lead from drinking water and other sources. Drinking water and paint, if a place was built before 1978, then it's likelihood that it's going to have lead in the paint. The risk of these children, these families, fall heaviest on low-income African-Americans and Latino children, part because they're more likely to live in aging, poorly maintained housing. And when these poorly maintained housing exists, then the, the paint chips will come off come off the windows and when they open and shut the doors and you get the paint chip and the carpet on the floor and the kids run around and they eat that or it falls on the ground outside the house. And when you look at children in school and they don't perform well, it could be because of lead poisoning. It affects the brain. For that child's whole life. So serious is not, and you got four million families with children. 
are being exposed to levels of high lead. So you got these environmental issues. Now you get to climate change. So poor people contribute least to climate change, but they suffer the most from severe weather effects. And you see this all around the globe. Where you may have used to have greenery, now you have deserts. So low-income families and people of color t- tend to be more likely to have living conditions and jobs that increase the health risk of extreme heat. They also get hit hardest by natural disasters because of barriers to obtaining property insurance. So how many people in New Orleans do you believe did not have property insurance when Katrina hit? Or the levy broke is better. Katrina hit, but the levy broke is what caused it. The lower ninth ward called the lower nine. Devastated. I drove down there, drove around down there six months afterwards, and you saw boats and trees and houses literally like lifted up and turned on the cement. People didn't have par- um property insurance. They lost it all. A lot of them did not even go back. Stayed in Houston or St. Louis or wherever they were from. It's hit. So people, when a natural disaster happens, they lose their assets. When the disaster caused by the bankers and this mortgage thing in 0708, African-Americans, people of color, lost their homes. So they lost a tremendous amount of asset. That was the main asset. So the amount of assets that African-Americans had. And Donald Trump was sort of clapped on it. So, yeah, he's going to make more money. And I was with the National Association of Housing Co-ops at the time, and we tried to buy some of these properties to to make a cooperative. Did you know you had to put down $250,000 just to look at the list? It was designed so that you had to have money in order to buy these properties. So here you have governments creating policies, creating policies so the rich will make it off the backs of those that lost their property. Now, those properties are back up. It's 10 years. They were back up after they said they had to keep them for 10 years. So if you bought a property for $50,000, $60,000, you'd be able to sell a particular around this D.C. here for, for $500,000. They make a killing, $250,000, $500,000. It would be great if you made $100,000 if you could buy 20 properties. Make $100,000 over 20 properties in 10 years, that's $2 million. It's awesome the way they have stacked it so that the rich get wealthier and the poor gets worse off. I'd ask you in this Black History Month to join the Poor People's Campaign because it helps all of us. 
find a cooperative, learn how to create your own cooperative. And I'm hopeful that the Poor People Campaign will take, like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, make co-op the central economic piece to bring us out of poverty with dignity. Thank you guys very much for this conversation. We'll be back next Thursday. And until then, you please live a cooperative week. Thank you.